This morning, our scripture reading is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing beside him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of the woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay it, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. His word is good. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, Trinity. Uh, My name is Jonah Brenner, and I have the privilege of serving on staff as the student ministry director. In case you missed it, Our pastor, Jonathan, is out on sabbatical for the summer. He's getting some well-needed rest. And our good Jeff Brucker is uh, getting some R&R in Santa Fe, my old hometown. So that leaves it to be my privilege to open and walk through this passage with you all today. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of things that might be strange to us, a little bit different than we might expect. And yet I think what we really see happening here is a big investigation of reputations. And not just an investigation, but in a sense, a refutation. Each person in this story has a refutation of their reputation. I know, a little bit twisted there. And yet it's true. They're known by something. They're seen by something. And yet when the story is over, their status is different. We're going to look at that in a second and break that down, why they're different, But as we do that, I'd like to ask you to consider, what's your reputation? 
What are you known by? What are you described as? What are you seen as? Is it what you want to be known as? Are you okay with it? If it could be different, what would it be? Well, we're going to be looking into this and seeing what is in store for us. There's so much at play, but I think what's really central is that Jesus has the right and the authority to change reputations. His forgiveness brings change and gives you a new reputation, one of love, one of peace, one that he sends you out and into the world to be seen as different than you were before. We see this in contrast to Simon the Pharisee's neglectful, cold shoulder that we get. This woman, this forgiven, sinful woman has an extravagantly loving anointing that is the only fitting response to who Jesus is. Jesus as the ruler, the teacher, and the atoner of all. He does this with all authority. Jesus' forgive, Jesus's forgiveness is the only possible hope for a new reputation, which in him is one of radical love. Forgiveness is the only foundation for a reputation of love. And we're going to be looking at this this, this morning. We're going to be looking at it under three headings, one of wrong reputations, revealing responses, and Jesus' right to reign. So what do we do with reputations? Wrong reputations. Reputations, there's something you're known by, something that prefigures an association in somebody else's mind. It's the first thing someone says when they say, who are you? What should I know you by? It's a shorthand. It's a handle where we can say, I know who they are. I know what they're like. They are this. What are you? What's your description? You get one word. What is it? Well, for Simon, he's a Pharisee. He's described as a religious leader, someone who's known to be upright, moral, in all cases, really. He would be a pretty good guy back in this day. He's a religious leader who has zeal and authority. That matters. Because more than just that, he, uh, he knows the Old Testament. And I can promise you, he knows it better than you or I ever will. They spend their whole lives studying this. They memorize it and put it on their heart. And he's a guy who, if there's going to be anybody, knows and can anticipate the prophet that God's going to raise up from among them, who they're going to listen to, the one they're really going to pay attention to, the promised Messiah that all of the Old Testament points to. Simon should know that because he knows the Old Testament real well. He practices the law well as well. And that means he's got ritual practices. There's people he does hang out with, people he doesn't hang out with. Why? Well, he has a reputation. He's a religious guy. He's an upstanding guy, right? In this culture, in this time, who you associate with matters. Who you eat with matters. They had cultural ceremonial laws. And if you ate and associated with someone who was sinful as a holy man, there were steps you had to take to be ceremonially pure. So who Simon associates with matters. And we see that when we see he invites people to dinner and he investigates Jesus and he has a little bit of upset at this other woman. This woman who, in his words, 
is known by something uh, a little less than savory. If we were to read verses 37 to 38, we see a situation that's a little bit more intimate than slipping shoes off when you enter someone's house. We see this woman. She comes in. We have it on a slide if we can go and read that. She, behold, comes in, a woman of the city who's a sinner. And when she learns that Jesus is reclining at table, she goes to him. She can't help it. She needs to. She brings an alabaster flask of ointment and stands behind him at his feet weeping, and she wets his feet, wipes them with her hair, and anoints them with oil. Yet she does all of this, and what does Simon say? If you look at 39, he speaks to himself in his own heart, and he says, she is a sinner. That's her reputation. You get Simon, who's the upright, holy man, and yet this woman, who is known as nothing other than a sinner. That's the only title she's given, and more than that, she's given it three times over. There's some speculation about the specific nature of the sin. Some posit something like a sexual sin, like prostitution. Other people, they're a little bit more cautious. They don't quite know. But what we need to know and what we can't lose the sight of is that she is known as a sinner, not as anything else. She's labeled as a sinner. That's her reputation. Imagine that being what everybody said about you. You walk out, you go to the store. Oh, I know them from the office. No, they're not from the office. They're the sinner. Imagine that's your association. Maybe you don't need to imagine. Maybe you're familiar with that. In some senses, we should be, right? Man, we are not who we wish we were, and we know that. That's really hard, and that's really heavy. And yet, we're not this woman who's labeled three times over in this passage. Not just a little sinner, but someone whose sins are many. And yet, despite her reputation, she has a heat seeker for Jesus. She knows his holiness, and she knows that no matter her reputation, the best thing for her is to go to him, to be at his feet, to be known in the presence of God, despite how messed up she is. Despite her reputation, she doesn't let it stop her. She goes to him. We'll look at how she responds to his presence in a moment, but we have to grapple with this. She's gifted with a desperation for Jesus, and she doesn't let her reputation prevent her. She is known as messed up, and she still comes to him. He who is the Son of Man, who also has a reputation. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, he's going out just prior to this passage. John the Baptist is asking, are you the one who's supposed to come after are you the one that we're supposed to look for? Are you the promised Messiah, the one whom all our hope hangs on? He has a reputation. It's building up, and it's getting momentum, and people are paying attention. They're listening to what Jesus is doing, and they want to know more. Simon does too. That's why he hosts this whole dinner, and yet Jesus gets denied his reputation by Simon. If this man were a prophet, he would know. Because surely, Simon, as the authority of all that is religious and holy, knows what it means to be a prophet, right? At least he thinks. Jesus is denied his reputation, and it's silly. Why? Because he's hanging out and receiving sinners. If we were to look at it, Jesus 
has a reputation as the son of man who has come eating and drinking. And people say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus doesn't get the reputation of being a prophet because he's willing to hang out with sinners. Just imagine that. You're not a holy man of God. You can't be. You aren't the promised Messiah who is bringing forth God's kingdom. You can't be because you actually want to put up with sinners. You're actually willing to be associated and seen with them. That's not possible. And in many cases, that fits. And yet this man is different. This man can change things. This man, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ the righteous, is no mere man. He's no mere prophet. He is God himself. And yet, he's criticized by the Pharisees for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Because to do so implied acceptance of those people, people who are customarily deemed unworthy of sharing a meal with good people. This is the contrast. This is what we see at play. Simon, a Pharisee, he's a good, upright man, and he has a dinner for people to come over, and he hosts Jesus as the guest of honor in his house because he wants to know more. He wants to see if his reputation matches. He's curious about who Jesus is, and he needs to know more. And this leads us to all these interesting responses in the passage, which takes us to point two. All of these responses, I promise you, they are deeply revealing. Yours will be too. Your response to the presence of Jesus, the understanding of what it means to be near him, to go to him, to be in his presence, is very revealing about the condition of your heart. Do you love or not? Because in the presence of Jesus, that all comes out as the source of love, as the source of light. Jesus changes things, and Jesus changes your response. But more than that, Jesus has some responses himself. In, verses, in verse 40, Jesus is not okay with how the situation is going, the dynamic of the dinner. He's not quite content with this woman being left as red, as nothing more than a sinner. And so he turns and he says, Jesus answering him says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. There's a force here, by the way, in case you missed it. I have something to say to you. And Simon answers, say it, teacher. Simon, in the presence of Jesus, is going to receive a little bit of correction. Jesus gets the right to reply because he's not okay with leaving reputations as they are right now. He's not okay leaving this holy man as just a perpetually holy man. He's not okay with leaving this sinner as nothing more than a sinner. He has a response and he does something about it. He corrects Simon. Something to say, verses 41 to 42, what does he say? A certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay... He canceled the debt of both. Now, which will love them more? It's a test. It's a question to Simon to see what's the status of your heart? What's in there? Where's your love at? Is it pouring out or not? And this is what Simon has to answer. Jesus responds by taking up authority as the better teacher. We're going to look at that more in a bit, but we can't ignore it here. This 
parable, this pronouncement. Whenever you read one, whenever you find one, you got to know, you got to pay attention because these are formed and informed by everything going on around them. Whenever you get a parable, whenever you get a pronouncement of Jesus that seems a little bit stark in place, it's because he is saying something to what's happening in his ministry there. And so this, this statement of moneylenders and debtors is not just a random teaching that Jesus happened to have in his back pocket. This is something that he is communicating to Simon and to this woman to say, you need to see something going on here. This parable recasts the situation. It's short, it's sweet, and yet it gets right to the point in a bit of a gut punch. Yeah, um, Simon, you had a reputation as a holy man, but I have to ask, do you understand your standing that you, as holy as you think you are, are still a debtor who can't repay? It might be less. It might not be as much as this woman, but you still owe. That's what this is pointing to. Jesus has something to say because he's not okay with how the situation is going down. It's a teaching moment with Jesus, which sounds awesome when you're just reading it, and yet it's kind of painful when you're in the crosshairs. We are too, because we have to ask the question, how would we respond to the presence of Jesus? If Jesus were to come to our house and be hosted at our dinner, how would he be welcomed? Because we see some other responses here. Jesus doesn't have the only response. Simon has a response. He has a response to what Jesus says, and we look and see what happened in this whole scenario. He answers, and he says, I I, I suppose this is the case. And Jesus responds to his answer and says, you have answered rightly. You have judged correctly. I want to give Simon some credit. This is good. There's a lot of cases when you read other stories with Pharisees where they are caught in their own words and they can't say anything. Why? Because they know they're wrong. There's moments where they know that Jesus is the Son of Man has caught them and they're at a dead end in their dead religion because they refuse to see and acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. And yet Simon is willing to see and say what is true. When you are forgiven much, you love much. That changes you. You're not the same. It's it's that main point of Jesus' love changes your reputation. His forgiveness changes who you are, and it forms you to be someone that you had no hope of being otherwise. And although he answers correctly, And although he answers a bit better than other Pharisees, he still has a bit of a critique coming. And more than a bit, it's kind of painful. Simon's hosted with skepticism and neglect. He has not done what he was supposed to as a dinner host. We might not have seen this earlier because the story happens so quickly. We hear, oh, Jesus is invited to come to dinner at someone's house. And right off into the races, the woman's there. And yet what we see here, when we come to 44 and 47, we see that when Jesus entered the house, he was given no water for his feet. Simon gave him no kiss, and he did not anoint his head with oil. Simon has been neglectful. He has not hosted Jesus as he ought, and it begs the question, is he responding as he should? That's a revealing response. Why? Because he doesn't 
know that Jesus is the Son of God and he's not welcomed him as such. That's what's so painful. Simon has loved little and dropped the ball big time in the presence of God, of Jesus. How would you welcome him? Would it be better? I I would hope that it would, and yet I don't know. I'm a skeptical guy too. I like my evidence. I like to know. Simon does as well. And yet that's what's so amazing about this woman's response that reveals the content of her heart. She doesn't let her reputation stop her, but she responds to the presence of God by darting to him, by going to him. This dinner that they're at, this dinner where they're reclined, the manner of reclining, I can promise you it's not like we would sit at a formal dinner. Students, it is not like us getting pizza at our midweek. It is not, I can promise you that. The dinner that they're having here, they are lying on their side, on their left elbow, with their feet out behind them, and dipping into the common food with their right hand. So Jesus' feet are behind him, and they're all looped around together with one another. That's why it makes sense that this woman's not diving under a table to anoint Jesus' feet. His feet are out and behind him. Why would that matter? Well, because this dinner type, this dinner with Jesus as a guest of honor, is likely held in a a bit more of a public setting. And this woman knows it and is so awestruck by who Jesus is that her only response is to go and rush to him and give him honor. Look at her. Jesus calls focus upon her. She who, though she was a sinner, has responded better than Simon has. What does she do? Look at what she does. Uh, we've, got, we've got a box with some um, that, that summarize all these things. This is what she does. When she learned, she brought, standing, weeping, wet, wiped, kissed, and anointed. That's everything that she does in those first vo- vo- uh, verses. That is her response to the presence of Jesus. She rushes to him and goes to him to anoint and honor him. Compared to Simon, the only description, the only action that Simon takes in this passage is that he invited him. If you ask me, I think that's a sign of someone who has loved a bit more. I think that's a picture of someone who has been forgiven a bit more because Jesus himself has said it and he's going to come back to it. The certain moneylender who owed more is none other than this woman. It's none other than you and me. We have been forgiven much. And even Simon's been forgiven, but he doesn't acknowledge it yet. When she wets his feet, it's not just any water. It is raining down. It is a, it is a weeping with joy and awe at being able to be in the presence of God because she knows she wipes her hair, which was a sign of her honor. And when it's disheveled and it's downcast, it symbolizes humility and grief and contrition and gratitude particularly when accompanied, as here, with tears. She is so awestruck at the presence of Jesus that she has to go to him, and she has to weep. She has to kiss his feet. Kissing feet is a sign of reverence, of acknowledging someone as king, and she anoints with a costly perfume, not just an olive oil, as was custom, but with a costly perfume. This is nice stuff. She is loving Jesus much by what she's doing compared to Simon's neglect. You can't miss the comparison. How do you explain such forgiveness? Because she's been forgiven much. She's been forgiven much. 
The word here, it suggests that she's already been forgiven, that she's had a previous encounter with Jesus, and because of that, she's coming here. She's had a previous engagement with Jesus, as our series would suggest. There's a lot of engagements with Jesus. There's a lot that goes on, and she's had a prior encounter that before she was atoned for, and yet it's acknowledged here she can't escape it. Her reputation can no longer hold her. She is forgiven, and Jesus makes that known. He says, for this reason I say to you, her many sins have been forgiven because she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. Contrast her with Simon. This woman acknowledged that Jesus is God, making Simon the Pharisee who's rejected the counsel of God. If you're reading this passage in context, you'll notice verse 730, where it says that there will be those who acknowledge God and those who reject his counsel. And it lists Pharisees there. Simon, one of them. He has not acknowledged his presence. That's what makes the difference. That's what's different, is that Jesus deserves to be honored as king. And this woman's response isn't excessive, it's right. Why? Because he's worthy. Because Jesus is worthy of the honor. He is worthy of the respect. He's worthy of the anointing. Why? He has a right to reign, which takes us to point three. There's clues all over the place. Before the passage, in the passage, after the passage, it's everywhere. Before when we read, we're talking with John, we're visiting with him, and this is he who says, Jesus, I'm not worthy to unstrap your sandals. This is the John who is described as greater than any person born of a woman. In case you missed it, that's everybody on earth. John is given a primacy in his role as the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. And he says, not I, Lord. I'm not worthy to touch your feet. I shouldn't. You are too holy. I can't, I can't do that. He falls in the presence of who Jesus is, and so should we. And we see that within this passage. Jesus has authority everywhere. He has authority to teach. He's known as teacher by Simon himself. He's known as a prophet. He is. He's so loving in correcting Simon. He teaches him. And it, it, it's, it's not just like a, ha-ha, Simon, you're a bad guy. It is one of these, I love you and I'm going to correct you. Simon, please pay attention. You owe me. You're not seeing it. He has the authority to forgive. He says to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those reclined at table began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Why, he has the authority to forgive those sins. He has the right to proclaim and send her out in a way in peace. And he does. He delivers a final verdict saying, go, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus rules He's been honored as king by this woman. And he goes out, honored as king, and yet this isn't the only place. This isn't the final time where he acts as king. He acts as a prophet, he acts as a priest, and he acts as a king when he goes out. Why? Because there's clues even after this passage. Jesus leaves, and soon after, he goes throughout cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And who does he go with? Women who were formerly infirm women who were healed, women who were sinful, because Jesus does not mind being associated with messed up people. 
he goes out and he ministers and he proclaims his kingdom that he is bringing in, flanked by a family of messed up sinners, the whole bunch with a gnarly reputation that he's changed. You don't eat dinner with Jesus and come out unchanged. You don't wrestle with God and come out unchanged. You can't look to him and be loved by him and stay the same because he forgives you more than you could ever imagine. The forgiveness that he has on offer goes to the darkest corners of your soul and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And out of that forgiveness, he forms you and calls you and shapes you to be someone who loves much. That's how it works. When you're forgiven much, you love much. Yet this isn't the only time that Jesus is anointed. He was anointed elsewhere, before his burial, for Passion Week. He was anointed before he went up onto the cross. Why? Because he cares so much about giving people the right reputation that he who knew no sin, who it could never be his reputation, became sin, so you wouldn't be stuck there forever. Jesus took action and changes your reputation by dying on the cross for you and becoming sin so that you're not known as sinners forever. So that you, instead of a reputation of being sinful, have a reputation of being a son or a daughter. You get Christ's reputation. It begs the question, what are you known by? What do you want to be known by? Do you want to be known as a sinner, as a Pharisee, or as a child of God? I think that's a question worth asking, and let me tell you, being associated with Jesus and having a reputation of, they're the people that like Jesus. That's a good thing. It's a costly thing. It's a hard thing, and it is so worth it because Jesus' love and forgiveness is worth it. Simon was seen as a holy man, and his reputation was put in check by someone who actually is holy. You get a new picture of what holiness looks like. Simon's reputation gets changed. The woman's reputation gets changed. Jesus takes up his reputation as the true prophet, the one who comes bearing grace and truth to all. And it begs the question, what's your reputation? Joseph Hart in 1759 writes a hymn that is uh, arguably one of my favorites, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. And I couldn't help but think of it when I was working on this sermon. Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus stands ready to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Don't let your reputation as a sinner keep you from rushing to Jesus, from engaging with Jesus, from going to him and falling at his feet and saying, you are my Lord, you are king, you are worthy of everything I could ever offer at your feet, because he is. I will arise and go to Jesus, and he will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Jesus took on a different reputation. He 
who knew glory before gave it up so that he might be known as, as beaten, stricken, afflicted, and raised again in glory. He gave up glory to be friends with sinners and tax collectors. Come and have a drink with him. He's good company for bad people. He has the power to forgive sins, and he does. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, uh, holy, holy, holy are you. You are a good Father, and you give us your Son. Your Son who does not deny us to come to him, but rather says, come. Come to me, those who are weary. Come to me, those who are heavy laden. Come to me, those who need rest, and I will give it to you. You welcome the sinner, Lord, and you turn them into a saint. You send us out in love because of your forgiveness, and I pray that your forgiveness would be abundant, for our sins are abundant. We need your love and your mercy upon us, Lord, and in your Son, Jesus, we have it. Tuck that into the corners of our heart, that when we leave, we might be known as those who have been forgiven much, that it might be our reputation, that people see us and they say, those are they who have been loved by God. It is in your good and holy name of your Son, Jesus, that I pray by the power of your Spirit. Amen.